0: At the most basic level, DNA determines who we are, what we look like. The texture of hair, the color of eyes, the tone of skin. DNA reveals relationships and tells the story of ancestry. Your mother's nose, grandfather's eyes, your uncle's smile. In the same way your DNA forms who you are at a cellular level, the church has DNA that directs it, building blocks that make up our identity, Instructions for what is important to us. Our vision, our mission, our values. The DNA of the church is evident in everything we do. Traces of it are left behind in every place we've been. In the smallest, seemingly inconsequential ways, it is replicated as each of us binds together as a family. A family serving Hampton Roads to change the world. And although we have a beautiful diversity and appearance within our family, the core of who we are, our mission is the same, to win and lead all those within our reach, to be fully devoted followers of Jesus.
1: Well, we want to welcome First Norfolk on Volvo to this worship gathering, so y'all be sure and welcome them right now. Uh, We are beginning a series uh, today called DNA, which is what makes First Norfolk who we are. And over the next several weeks, both in life groups as well as here in our worship gatherings, we're going to examine the DNA of our church. Today, we're going to begin with uh, uh, the big view. Uh, What is it that God says is His vision for our church? When we look at our vision, we Uh, invariably start quantifying what that looks like. And we have, as a church, quantified what uh, God's vision for our church looks like in the next 10 years. Uh, And that includes 15,000 missionary followers of Christ on mission every day uh, who call First Norfolk their family of faith. Uh, It includes 1,500 life groups uh, at First Norfolk that meet at First Norfolk or in their homes of First Norfolk members. It includes 10 locations, not just First Norfolk on Kempsville or First Norfolk on Volvo, but eight other locations that we will establish through the seven cities of Hampton Roads in the next decade. And it includes 20 church plants. We already have 15 church plant partners, uh, but we believe that God is calling us to have 20 church plants, uh, 20 uh, additional church plants in the next decade. So those are quantifiable things that we look at, but really God's vision for our church runs deeper than just those numbers, those things that we're looking at and that we put on a piece of paper or a spreadsheet. Those are nice and they're great to uh, help us evaluate certain things, but when it's all said and done, God's vision for our church is more profound than numbers on a piece of paper. Uh, And that's what we're going to look at today. God's vision for our church really uh, is not what I say God's vision is or even what you might say God's vision is. God's vision for our church is what he says his vision is. And we find his vision for our church throughout the pages of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Today we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to key in on verses 12 through 21 and see and hear God's vision for us. And that vision, and let me kind of give you kind of a snapshot, that vision revolves around rescue. God's vision for our church, for for the church down the street, the the church uh, around uh, the uh, the bend on the peninsula, or the church that is uh, in uh, Timbuktu, revolves around this idea of rescue. Rescue. We we love the idea of rescue. We uh, have embraced movies that depict rescue. We used to, as children, sit in front of television screens uh, watching those shows that were all about rescue. You you think about uh, in your childhood, maybe it was the Lone Ranger riding in on his white stallion silver with Tonto by his side, riding in to save the day and rescue the damsel in distress or rescue the town that's being abused or uh, the innocent individuals who are being attacked. Here comes the Lone Ranger. He is the rescuer, uh, 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 finding courage and strength to face the enemies and to overwhelm them. Rescue. And you can hear the song playing in your head and it begins to inspire you toward that, that wonderful picture of rescue. Now maybe it's not Lone Ranger. Maybe uh, as you were growing up, maybe it's the A-team. You remember the A-team? You, the, 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 the A-team, here's this band of misfit soldiers who have uh, been ousted by the government uh, for uh, insidious reasons. But if you have a problem... And, and you need someone to help, and you don't know where that help can come from, if you can, you can call the A-team, and they will come help you. Do you remember watching the TV? Um, B.A. Baracus, always that strong, bejeweled individual who came rushing in and, and always threw somebody over his head and, uh, and rescued the innocent and rescued the damsel in distress, rescued the town that's being abused, the the A-team. Maybe it's not the A-team. Maybe in your teenage years, like my teenage years, it wasn't the A-team as much as it was John J. Rambo. John J. Rambo, this this great bastion of, of heroism and strength and courage. Maybe you don't know who John J. Rambo is or was. If you don't, I feel sorry for you. John J. Rambo, also known as Rocky Balboa, also known as Sylvester Stallone. Uh, he made a series of movies with John J. Rambo as the main character. Our first encounter with John J. Rambo is a, a veteran returning from the Vietnam War trying to find his place in the Pacific Northwest. And, and he is uh, 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 set upon by this wicked, um, uh, ambitious sheriff who uh, was really not very good. And, and John J. Rambo wins the day. Uh, but really, it's the second movie uh, that John J. Rambo starred in. It, it's where he's recruited to go to uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, far east and rescue prisoners of war who have been there since the Vietnam War, and and he goes and and even though the the the. The governmental authorities only wanted Rambo to watch and take pictures. When he saw those prisoners of war, he couldn't just watch and take pictures. He had to rush in and bring rescue. He was not content to just sit and see that rescue needed to happen. He actually came to the rescue. He was the champion of rescue for those who were in prison and maybe it's not John J. Rambo. Maybe it's a real-life individual, Desmond Doss, who uh, climbed Hacksaw Ridge to bring uh, rescue to those uh, 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 wounded uh, soldiers in World War II. And, and he did it without a weapon, without firing a shot, but he displayed tremendous courage, putting himself at risk to save over 50 uh, wounded uh, uh, soldiers and bring them to safety. We are inspired by stories of rescue. But friends, I'm here to tell you, and God's vision for us is not that we would sit and be inspired by stories of rescue, but rather God's vision for you and for me and for our church is that we would join and be part of the story of rescue, that we would uh, allow the Spirit of God Uh, to inspire courage and strength and boldness in us as a church so that we would engage people who are drowning in the sea of misery, who are facing the menacing waves of trouble and circumstance as well as sin, who are drowning in the darkness of life, being distanced from God by their own sin. God is calling us not to sit at a screen and celebrate the story, but rather to engage those individuals to be the person who enters the difficult and even dangerous terrain to bring rescue to those who are lost and in danger. He's calling you and me, this church, to be on a journey where we make disciples who rescue others. That's God's vision for us. God's vision is not that we tell a good story of rescue. God's vision isn't that we sit and sing songs of rescue. God's vision is that you and I, that we would be His disciples who bring rescue to those who need it. That is His call. That's God's vision. For us, we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul begins to describe his own journey as a follower of Christ. And then he highlights for uh, the church in Corinth God's vision for them. And in the same way, he highlights God's vision for us. And just key in on verses 17 and 18 right now, we're going to break apart a lot of these uh, different verses in 2 Corinthians 5, but look in verses 17 and 18. Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all these things are from God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. I want you to hear that because that, that's the rescue part. God has made us part of his family. That's if anyone's a new creation, uh, in, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So God's made us part of his family. In making us part of his family, he's given to us a ministry, and that is a ministry of reconciliation. Another way to describe this ministry of reconciliation is a service of helping those who are far from God find life in Christ. Another way to say it is those who are drowning in the despair and the disease and the, and the cancer of their own sin need to find forgiveness for that sin and new life in Christ. And how do we do that? We go to them and we help those who are lost be found. This is God's call on our life. That's God's call on our church. We are here because someone exercised this ministry of reconciliation toward us. You're here today, not because uh, you somehow came to your senses and pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and determined that there is a better way to live and Jesus is that person and, and you, you pulled Jesus out of heaven and said, Now you're part of my life. No, that's not how it works. You were dead in your sin and your trespass, the Bible says. You were hopelessly lost. You were drowning in the sea of your own despair because you were distanced from God. That's how it is for you and for me when when sin has overwhelmed us. and, 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 And apart from God, we are hopeless in this life. That's us. We needed rescue. And God sent someone our way with this wondrous lifeline who said, you're drowning, but here's hope. His name is Jesus. We, we've been rescued. And because we've been rescued, our job, our calling, God's vision for us is to be a disciple who rescues others. This church is to be a place where we make disciples who rescue others, not make disciples who are smarter about Bible stuff. And there's nothing wrong with being smart about Bible stuff. As my daughter says, I have a, I have a Ph.D. in something, and it doesn't make sense to her. It doesn't help her with math homework, but uh, it, it's a Ph.D. I, so I, I, I believe in getting edumacated about Jesus stuff. I'm, I'm all about that world, and, and, and so I've, I've worked real hard and been very diligent to get smarter about Bible stuff. But that doesn't make me a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Not anywhere close. Our our job as a church isn't just to educate people in what the Bible says. and That's a worthy uh, pursuit, but that's not the the goal of the pursuit. Our, Our job as a church isn't... Merely to, to help people um, divide certain intricacies of theological processes so that they can somehow split the atom of, of God's sovereignty versus human responsibility and find the answer and eureka. It's all... D- no, 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 no. You might say, well, what does any of that mean? Don't worry about it. Our job isn't to make you smarter. Our job is to make disciples, people who are actually following Jesus in doing what Jesus came to do, and that is to rescue people who are lost in their sin. Our job as a church isn't to get together and just feel good about ourselves. That's not our job. The reason First Norfolk exists is not so that you can come and hang out with like-minded, morally uh, 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 straight people. That's, that's, That's it's not why we're here. God's vision for our church is the same as it's always been for the church, and that is to make disciples who rescue others. I'm, I'm always I'm always concerned with the church that is always focused on the comfort and the ease and the and the needs of its membership. You may say, well, that sounds strange. It may sound strange, but I've got to tell you, once the church begins to focus on the needs of its membership rather than God's call on the church, that church begins to die. God's called us not to, not to elevate our comfort above His commands, but rather to elevate His call above everything else. So how do, we, how do we make disciples who rescue others? How are we uh, a church that makes disciples that rescue others? As we dig through this passage of Scripture, we begin to see certain characteristics that we are, but also characteristics of who we are to become. And it's both and. That's what DNA does. DNA, uh, when I was uh, six, I was, uh, uh, had blonde hair and it covered all aspects of my head. That's who I was, but who I was to become was not so much. And DNA did this. DNA. This is DNA. Right? In a more positive way. Oh, I see this as positive. I think I look really good with the short hair and the bald spot in the back. I I think I look dignified. Opinions vary. As we, uh, as we look at who we are today, we also need to understand that DNA is God making us who he wants us to be. So it's, it's both and. It's, there's growth that needs to happen for us as the people of God. So what does it look like for us? Well, first thing we see in this passage is that, that we are God's gathering of people who are made new by Jesus. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but if you look at verse 17, it really spells it out. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. Uh, New creation in Christ, what does that mean? Well, if you want to take that phrase, in Christ, what's he talking about there? Go down to verse 21. 21 uh, uh, describes what being in Christ is all about. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul says that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him to become to be in Christ means that our sin has been forgiven through the death of Christ on the cross. it means that 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 we have seen the rescuing love that God has made available through jesus and 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 we have uh, uh, taken our sin and, and God has taken our sin and put Our sin upon Jesus as He dies on the cross. And then God, in this great exchange of His wondrous loving grace, God takes the righteousness, the perfection, the holiness of Jesus, and He plants Him, plants that righteousness on us. So that in that great exchange, when God sees us, He sees Jesus and His righteousness. And our sin has been. Paid for by the shed blood of Jesus on a cross. That is the forgiveness that we have received. To be in Christ means that our sin has been put on Jesus and His righteousness has been placed on us, and we are brand new creatures. We've been made brand new in Christ Jesus. We are God's gathering. And and by the way, you're not part of God's family until you've been made new by Jesus. But if you've been made new by Jesus, then that leads us to the second characteristic, which is we are the assembly of uh, Christ's ambassadors who live for the rescue of others. We are the assembly of these ambassadors. Now, this this is really... getting to the core of our vocation. It's, it's, it's who we are. Here's how he describes it. He says, okay, you're a new creation in Christ, verse 17, right? You see that, verse 17? Look at verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now, all these things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself uh, and not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the ministry of Reconciliation. Now, we, we have this ministry of reconciliation, and, and, and that, is, that is described in, in verse 19. This ministry of reconciliation is that, that God has reconciled the world to himself through Christ Jesus. And now he is committed to us as those who have been made new in Christ. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. You see that in verse 19, the word of reconciliation? What is the word of Reconciliation. It's this message of rescue. It's the gospel itself. This word of reconciliation is that, yes, you may be drowning in the sea of your own despair because your sin has separated you from God, but here's good news. Here's the rescue. Here's the lifeline. Jesus has died on a cross and been raised from the dead to forgive your sin and to give you new life. Here's the lifeline. Be rescued today. The message, the word of reconciliation is the gospel. And, and so in verse 19, he says, we, we who have been rescued, we have this message of rescue. Now verse 20, he describes it even more. Verse 20, he says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading, imploring through us, we beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So if you've been rescued... You're a new creation in Christ, and you have this service, this ministry, this mission, this calling of reconciliation or rescue. You've been given the word of rescue, which is the good news of God's love through Christ. Now, go share it. That's an ambassador. We are ambassadors for Christ, as though though God were begging through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Do you hear the urgency? It's not some casual conversation. It's me going to somebody who's drowning. They're they're drowning. They, They are in dire straits. They are stuck in darkness. They need help. They need it now. So I urgently rush in to their situation and I risk their rejection and I risk their ridicule and I risk whatever I need to risk in order to share with them. Here is rescue for you. That's what ambassadors do. And that's who you are. If you're a new creation in Christ, you're an ambassador for Christ. Uh, This is not some special uh, branch service of Christian uh, people. Uh, We don't have a a, a special branch. We call them ambassadors. No, this, this isn't seal team six an ambassador that's the sailor on the ship that's the grunt on the front line this is the one who goes to battle every day it's you it's me this is who we are we are ambassadors as though God were pleading through us we beg you who are the you Well, the you is the person across the street who's drowning in the darkness of their own despair because they're separated from God by their sin. Who is the you? The you is the person that you work with every day who's looking for life and hope and a little uh, relief from the pain and misery of their everyday experience. They're stuck in a prison of their in the cell of their own sin, and they need some relief from that, and they're looking for rescue, but not, they're, they're, not, they're not going to the places where there will be rescue. They're going to the places where they can find relief and a little bit of ease and comfort from the pain in which they're living. They're, they're, they're going to all those places that might numb them to the misery of their soul, and, and we need to go to them and say, here's rescue. Who are you? The you is the person that you go to school with every day. And you know what they're doing on the weekends, and maybe you're doing it with them, but you know that they're lost, and they need help. And you need to stop watching the story of rescue and join in the story of rescue. When when did we decide it was okay to watch a movie about John J. Rambo or the Lone Ranger or the A-Team or Desmond Doss and, and applaud that and forget that God is calling us to be His champion. He's calling us to be His ambassador. When did we think it became okay to Talk a good game about rescue as long as we leave all the prisoners of war in their cage. We don't, we'll take pictures of them, but we don't want to talk to them. We love to see them from afar off and tell great stories about them, but we don't want to, we don't want to invest our life in seeing their rescue. When did we think it was... Stop, y'all, look. When did we think it was Okay that we play this church game and act like we're good religious moral people while the rest of the world is going to hell in a handbasket and we have the rescue we have the rescue and we refuse to risk that's not God's call on our lives God's call on you and on me on this body of believers called First Norfolk is that we would be his ambassador going into hostile territory every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, looking for those who are drowning in their despair and bringing to them the message of rescue and hope. This is who you are. This is who we are. So how do we embrace it? Well, we embrace it when we begin to understand that we are a team transformed by the love of Christ for God's pleasure. We, we're, our, we're His team. We're, we're not a church that's get, gotten together for ourselves. Did, do you understand that? I mean, that, that's not why God brought us together. It's not for ourselves. God brought us together for Him and His purpose. Not for you or your purpose. We're not a supermarket who exists in order to provide good customer service and please the needs of the customers. Well, in a way we are, but we only have one customer. And that is the living God. And we exist to please Him. But we certainly do not exist to please the needs of me or of you. That's not why the church exists. That's not why God made us. We are his team that's been transformed by his life. See this a little bit more. Go up to verses 9, 10, and 11. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9, 10, and 11. I want you to just sink into these words for just a moment. Just hear what Paul writes. He says... Therefore, we make it our aim, our goal, our ambition. We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him to whom we must give an account. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an answer for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. I want you to see the flow there, the ambition, the motivation for um, being a rescuer, joining the story of rescue, not just being a spectator, watching rescue happen, but the motivation for being part of the story of rescue uh, is fear of the Lord. I fear the Lord. Now, fear the Lord, uh, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. What is he talking about? He says, I know who God is. I know he is great and mighty and awesome and majestic and powerful. He is a loving father, but my goodness, he is God and I am not. And I'm not gonna treat him even with uh, a semblance of contempt. I'm not gonna treat him as if he owes me anything. He is God, I am not. Therefore, my aim, my ambition, every part and particle of Eric Thomas is given for the pleasure of God. I aim to make him smile, to live for his pleasure every day. And the way I live for his pleasure every day is I persuade others how that they can find life in Christ. I persuade men and women, boys and girls, that without Jesus, without faith in Christ, they will sink and drown and die in their sin. I need to be an individual. Uh, We need to be a church that is committed to the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord protects us from all kinds of craziness that we would fall into. And can I tell you that when I... um, minimize the fear of the Lord, that's when I find myself in the greatest dangers. We're his team transformed by his love to please God. It's, it's the love of God, the love of Christ that, that, that has, has formed our heart. That's what Paul is talking about in verse 14. Look at verse 14. Paul says, hey, hey, uh, the love of Christ constrains us, compels us. It's the love of Christ that unites us together. It's the love of Christ that motivates us every day. It's not just the fear of the Lord. It's not just knowing that he sees and understands every aspect of my life. By the way, you can fool me and I can fool you, but you will never fool God. We're going to stand before him. We all, the church, we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ, give an answer for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Do you get that? Stop playing games. How about it? God's watching. How about it? But it's not just that aspect. It's also the love of Christ. The love of Christ which which motivates us and, and compels us. The love of Christ constrains us. For we judge thusly that if one died for all, then all have died. And he, being Jesus, died for all so that those who live, that's you and me, So that those who live should live no longer for themselves. But for him who died for them and rose again. Stop living for yourself and start living for the one who died for you and rose again. Do you get that? And by the way, if that's true for you, and it is, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's also true for the church. See, our church does not exist for you. It exists for him who died for us and rose again. Do you get that? We're a team transformed by, by, by this wondrous love of Jesus that has shaped our life and, and reforms how we uh, evaluate our lives. If you're here and you're having a hard time seeing yourself walking across the street, joining in the story of rescue to share the message of God's rescuing love with someone who is drowning in the sea of their own despair, overwhelmed by the menacing ways of their own menis- misery, If you see yourself having a hard time being motivated to go across that, can I tell you, maybe you just need to soak in the love of Jesus a little bit more. Remember what he's done for you. Remember how that he paid the price for you to be set free from your sin. Maybe, maybe we just need to soak a little bit in this love of Jesus that will always... Listen, the more we soak in Jesus, in his love, the more we're going to be motivated to be obedient to the one who has given us life. The more we soak in the love of Christ, not the sentimentality of it alone... But when we soak in the love of Christ, this is that that act of sacrificial love that, that has overwhelmed the power of hell itself that he has planted upon us so that we might be forgiven our sin and set free from our captivity. When we soak in that love, it's going to motivate us, enable us, inspire us not to just sit And watch the story of someone's rescue, but to join in that story. God has made us champions. He has. He has poured His Spirit within us so that we have the power that we need to be His witnesses in our world. God has made us champions for Him. Why are we content watching television? Instead of stepping out and stepping forward and risking everything to provide rescue to one who is in certain danger, today's the day. I wonder how many of us sat and watched the funeral services of Billy Graham and thought, man, what a hero. I know I did, but do you realize the same power that works in Jesus, the same power that worked in Christ, the same power that worked in Billy Graham is the same power that God has planted in you and in us as the church. It's the power of his Holy Spirit to be on mission, to be a missionary follower of Christ, to be a disciple. And to make disciples who rescue others. Isn't it about time that we grow up? Isn't it about time that we join God's story of rescuing love by helping those who are captured in the darkness discover the light that gives life? Would you bow your heads, please? This morning I invite you to say yes to God's vision for this church and God's vision for your life. Some of you are here today and you have been a spectator for too long. You're not a member of our church, but you have been attending as if you were. You know, God wants you to be a member of this church, and so today is the day for you to join this family of faith called First Norfolk, to join this team of transformed people, this assembly of ambassadors, this gathering of God's people. Today is the day for you to officially declare your membership in this body believers. I invite you to do that today. Don't be a spectator any longer. Some of you are here today and you're followers of Christ and you're part of this First Norfolk family, but you've been a spectator even then. You love the stories of rescue that you hear, but you're not committed to share your story. You're not, you're not committed to join in this journey, in this mission of rescue. And that has to change today. Maybe today what God is calling you to do is to commit yourself this week to share a life-changing conversation. Have a life-changing conversation with one person that you believe may be drowning in the sea of their own despair because they're far from God in their sin. I invite you to come and commit yourself to have that life-changing conversation. You might say, well, I, Eric, I don't know if I can, I, I can do all that, but what can I do today? Well, today maybe you just need to commit to invite somebody to come hear the gospel. Easter weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, multitudes of opportunities for you to invite someone to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe as a beginning step of joining this journey of rescue as part of First Norfolk family, maybe what what you need to do is commit yourself to invite 20 people this week to join you for Easter weekend. Just don't sit any longer. Step out. Be courageous. Grab an oar and begin to row toward that person drowning. And the seas may be rough and the The way may be tough, but today is the day for you to be the champion riding to the rescue of someone in need. Lord God in heaven, as we have gathered here, will you inspire us to obedience here and now, that we would not merely receive the righteousness of Christ, but that we would also display Christ's righteousness to others in our obedience to you. I pray that you would help for us to be overwhelmed by your presence and your your truth and that we would submit ourselves fully to what you are speaking to our hearts right now and be glorified as we worship you and thank you for enabling us by your spirit to do all that you've called us to do and as your ambassadors now be glorified as you draw to yourself those whom you're calling and it's in the name of jesus we pray amen